Chapter Twenty Five of Mrs. Solomon Smith Looking On by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Five Them Smiths Ain't of the Common Kind. The days that followed were full of unrest. There were some things on which we settled. One was that Job Simmons was very alarmingly ill, stricken with the fever which had proved so serious in a neighboring city and from the first the disease took that fierce hold upon him which it is apt to on the overworked and ill-fed poor another fixed point was that solomon smith without talk other than that which he may have had with his wife took up his abode at the run-down farm where the simmons family struggled and did not come home at all what little sleeping he managed to secure was done on a cot stretched by job's bedside his wife solomon's not job's saw to it that he had food of the best carefully prepared well she used to explain with a thoughtful air and the far-away look in her eyes when questioned as to why her husband should have felt called upon to leave his home and his work to look after one who was no kin to him job simmons had to be took care of you know it wouldn't do to leave him there suffering and you know what she is she can't take care of nobody and solomon said there wasn't anybody to be had for love or money so far as we knew and so there was nothing else to do don't you see no they didn't see very few people would have seen a clear plain matter-of-fact duty before them and taken it up in the way that solomon smith and his wife did it we his neighbors and friends made certain efforts to help we said to one another that he was too old a man to undergo such constant fatigue and loss of rest and efforts were made to secure a paid substitute but it was a sickly spring and nurses were in demand and it was soon discovered that solomon smith was right neither love nor money could secure a watcher for job simmons except that surely it was love which had already secured him a faithful and patient nurse not such a love as we give to our kindred not that which grows out of similarity of tastes and plans and aims job simmons was a good well-meaning plodding unfortunate rather stupid soul with a genius for losing his crops in critical seasons and making poor bargains at all seasons and getting sick on very slight provocation he and solomon smith could not really be said to have much in common yet love held the latter steadily at the sick bedside the love embodied in the commission inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren ye have done it unto me yes job was one of the brethren as the days passed and the struggle with life and death grew fiercer we who talked over poor job's case at home used to say with half-drawn sighs that there was great comfort in remembering that if he should die which seemed probable he would enter into rest and certainly his laborious life had known no earthly rest meantime one of the most restless waiters watching as an outsider to see how all this was to end was my laura she seemed shocked over the good man's going into the midst of danger to nurse one who was nothing to him 
it almost seemed as if she resented the unselfish christian spirit which had taken him to this place of fatigue and danger so strangely miserable was she over it all that i think there were times when she longed to accuse mrs smith of caring nothing for her husband because she did not urge his staying away but for one who had so persistently declared that the dear old lady's one idea in life was her husband this mode of fault-finding would hardly do he will not get the fever mamma she said to me one day and she said it impatiently we were speaking of solomon smith i am not afraid that he will get it such people never do they live a charmed life they can do wonderful things bear fatigue and go through trials and dangers and never get touched what sort of people laura oh a few specially favored ones just a very few who are shielded from all of life's bitternesses we were quite alone and i felt that i must speak plainly daughter i said has your life been such a bitter one hitherto that you are moved to envy mr and mrs smith their brighter lot she flushed under the question and i think realized the folly of her words as they sounded to me though i knew better than she thought i did about the real unrest in her heart dear child i said and i am sure i spoke with tenderness for my heart felt very gentle with the poor young thing isn't it time you gave over the folly of trying to account for your old friend's strong true unselfish christian character on any other ground than that of one whose life is hid with christ in god you have tried to change her into a narrow-minded selfish fanatical old woman have you succeeded you are waiting apparently to see whether poor weak little lida will prove to have a strong enough hold on christ to lead her safely through life's temptations or whether your cousin irving's influence will pull her down if the latter is the case you seem to imagine that you will thus in some way be relieved from personal responsibility i used to think that you entirely believed in our poor old friend but i see i am mistaken satan is tempting you to throw aside her love and the respect you have had for her and name her christian life self-will and ignorance but daughter suppose he succeeds and you cast aside our dear old lady's true living as worthless and suppose poor lida makes a failure of it what then do you remember the question mrs smith asked you that evening after lida's marriage didn't she ask whether you thought the lord jesus christ made a failure of life don't you sometimes hear his voice asking what is that to thee follow thou me she was weeping bitterly by this time she interrupted me suddenly it is not that she said mamma you do not understand i do not distrust her religion i never said so you know i respect her mamma but she may make mistakes no one is perfect and i i do not want to think she is right about all questions that is i do not want to think her opinions and actions are the result of her christian experience because well if what she lives is christianity it condemns other lives too much i do not want them condemned 
how well i understood the miserable type of christian living which that term other lives covered norman eastlake had been gone for some days but the shadow of his sham religion hung all over her she could not get away from it constantly the old argument was being gone over in her heart if these two old people are right about this about that about a dozen things which he directly condemns by word and act then i must condemn his life as unworthy of his profession and that i will not do i felt the necessity for treading very carefully during these days evidently my daughter was being called upon to make grave decisions such as would perhaps influence all her future i could not get away from the feeling that she was perhaps without fully realizing it being called upon to decide between christ and norman eastlake yet i did not dare to tell her so in trying to influence her i felt myself at a very great disadvantage because she recognized my unspoken disapproval of the young man during the conversation to which i have referred i quoted this verse he that taketh not up his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me it was in answer to her confession that mrs smith's life put to blush all other lives and norman's name had not been mentioned between us but she instantly answered me with a burst of tears and these words oh mamma i know you do not like norman you never have and i'm afraid you never will it is very hard on him and it is very hard on me but i shall never give him up has anybody asked you to do so daughter i asked her and it was all that i could trust myself to say meantime the days went by and the struggle between life and death in that shabby farmhouse just out of town went on presently contrary to the expectations of every one the attending physician included it became apparent that job simmons little wizened up half alive man that he was was to come off victor he was getting well his sickly wife told me it herself with a wan smile and a sentence about solomon smith which had more energy in it than i had judged her capable of them smiths she said ain't of the common kind i tell you if there was more folks of their sort the world would be a good enough place to live in and i'd just as soon live in it as not but i tell you you might go a thousand miles in all directions and never see their like again i repeated the eulogy at our family tea-table and drew from laura first a laugh and then a burning blush what is the matter with the child her father asked me that same evening she doesn't seem like herself she hasn't in fact since you came home and it has been worse since norman went away i had to confess to him that i was afraid our daughter was struggling with her own convictions of right this belief grew upon me for one evening when we were alone and i in much fear and trembling and i doubt not with much bungling was trying to speak a word in answer that should not do more harm than good she burst forth suddenly with this mamma i do not want to be a christian i cannot be one indeed i should be a fanatic 
i should carry things to extremes i am certain of it and that would spoil my life oh mamma don't you know it would i had no answer ready and she went on hurriedly almost all the time we were away i thought about it i admired auntie smith but i thought many of her views were peculiar and old-fashioned the outgrowth of her rugged nature and i do not mean to be disrespectful but i thought that both you and papa had been brought up under peculiarly strict influences and held some views as a result that could not be expected from young people still i thought that young christians would develop in that direction as they grew older i admired the development and i used to say to myself that when i was an old woman i would be not a gentle low-voiced woman like you but noisy and rugged and pronounced in many ways you know i cannot be like you mamma so then i used to think i would be like auntie smith but then lida became so changed i could not help seeing that she was already growing like you young as she is mamma she is taking up advanced questions of christian life and settling them as you would not as young people do she is not waiting to grow old i can see it in her letters she is moving right on and stranger than that she is taking irving with her besides there was erskine you know a professor of religion and not a bit better than the rest of them not so good i have often thought as many who made no profession but all that is changed i hear a great deal about him in one way and another and he is actually growing like auntie smith mamma you don't understand it but i cannot be such a christian as that it would make my life miserable and i cannot be any other kind for i see that it is the only right way i know you cannot imagine what i mean but i understand myself it seemed to me there was but one answer to this question and though with troubled voice i gave it i comprehend you i think daughter fully and i can only say to you what i have said before he that taketh not up his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me there came presently a new element of disturbance into her life she came to me one evening with an open letter from erskine a long cordial genial letter detailing work that he was doing and work that he was planning seeming to expect her approval as a matter of course and there was such an air of breezy energy about it all and such evident ignorance of the fact that he was doing any more or any different from what a disciple of christ would do of course that i understood what the child meant by telling me that he was growing like mrs solomon smith the young man had repudiated utterly those former days of profession he believed them to be mere profession and felt sure that he had known nothing of the love of christ as a renewing power until after his meeting with mrs smith he dated his conversion from the evening in which he took her in his carriage to church this was not erskine's first letter but it was the longest and most communicative and had that about it which made me understand why laura sought her mother in perplexity i don't know what to do mamma i enjoy his letters of course any person of sense might and i like him his friendship is worth having 
but and he may mean nothing at all but friendship probably does not and yet mamma don't you know what i mean you always know what i mean before i say it i understand you dear i said and if i were you i would be entirely frank with erskine he is a good sensible young man let him know that you enjoy his sense and his letters just as a young lady engaged to be married might enjoy the friendship of a dozen good men but how could i tell him it would seem to him as though i was afraid he thought more of me than merely as a friend and i have no reason to do so i couldn't do that mamma and her cheeks flushed over it but i assured her that i thought she could erskine had been too intimately associated with us as a member of the same family and as a special friend of irving's for us to treat him other than as a valued friend if her belief was correct that he thought of her only as a pleasant acquaintance to whom he would like occasionally to write a friendly letter her frank confidence reposed in him could do no harm but good and if on the other hand there was a possibility that he was growing interested in her frankness might save much future harm all the time i think i was talking more for laura's sake than erskine's i found myself nourishing the hope that her eyes were being opened to the contrast which his character presented beside norman eastlake's it was not that i would have counselled her to the breaking of solemn pledges unless indeed she had reached the point where she herself felt it would be wrong to keep them but if she were to realize in bitterness some day that she had made a mistake i prayed god that the knowledge might not come too late i am not one of those who believe that a bad promise should be kept nor would i ever counsel one to go to the marriage altar with solemn pledges on her lips to which her heart said nay that is simply adding sin to sin and the way out of sin is not to shut one's eyes and add another at the same time i hold a promise as a very sacred thing so sacred that the necessity for breaking it should be mourned and wept and prayed over so sacred that before it is made at all every step of the way in which it leads should be looked over on one's knees the remedy lies not in adhering to false vows and so making a mockery of life but in being so careful so conscientious so earnest that the first mistake is not made i turned almost with a sigh from the fact that there was no wavering about laura she was so sure indeed that however unhappy norman's peculiar views might make her she belonged to him that she did not even understand my probing but as the days passed and job simmons crept out among us again and solomon smith came home and life at the little brown house in the hollow settled into its wonted calm much of laura's nervousness began to wear away the period of anxiety lest our old friend should take the fever was past and the doctors said cheerily that his good constitution and good wife had brought him safely through and laura seemed satisfied to go back in a degree at least to her old warm feeling for mrs smith vexing questions were dropping into the background 
she seemed growing content to let norman have his type of religion and the smiths theirs and for herself to do without any no christian mother needs to be told that my heart was not at rest laura was the child of many prayers i did not believe that the dear lord would let her make such a disastrous compromise with satan as to try to stand on neutral ground because one type of christian life was too strongly marked for her to be willing to take up its crosses and the other too weak to command her respect the solemn question was how would he lead this poor foolish lamb into his pasture End of chapter twenty five